Genesis 7, we'll be looking at verses 11 to verses 24. This is the inerrant, the infallible, life-giving Word of God. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three and the three wives of his sons, with them, entered the ark. They and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock, according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, according to its kind, and every bird, according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animal and creeping thing and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let us turn now to our sermon text and New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, I'll be looking at verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, 
Rather, go to the dealers, buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were, who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has <clears throat> thus far been speaking through the Olivet Discourse of events that were going to take place in A.D. 70 with the destruction of the temple, but also about the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the previous chapter, chapter 24, Jesus spoke about two groups of people. He said those in one group will be saved and those in another group will be judged. He spoke about two men in a field. One was taken, one remained. Jesus spoke about a delay in his second coming. Chapter 24, verse 48, he said, My master is delayed. Jesus said, No one knows the hour of his return. But concerning the day or hour, no one knows, he said. And when he does return, it will be sudden, like lightning coming in from the east and the west. Therefore, Jesus said, stay awake, you must be ready. All of this, Jesus said in the previous chapter, chapter 24, and as we enter chapter 25, he continues this theme, be ready. <clears throat> so as Christ's followers, we must not be like those hypocrites who give mere lip service to Christ, but we must really follow and trust in Jesus Christ. So first in our text, we will consider the bridegroom. Secondly, we will consider the foolish virgins. And finally, the wise virgins. So first the bridegroom. Verse 1, Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, in order to, to appreciate what Jesus is doing in this parable, we need to understand something about the customs of weddings back in that day. Back in this time, <clears throat> there were various stages of a wedding celebration. There was a taking a bride out of her parents' home. There was taking the bride to the home of the couple. And throughout the day, there would have been feast and dancing and celebration. So much of the celebration taking uh, throughout the course of the day and various uh, uh, meals and, and again dancing. And it would have went into the evening when nightfall came. And so as you were escorting the bride and groom to their new home, it would have been dark. And the bridesmaids and those in the wedding party would have carried lanterns and escorted the bride and his groom back to the house. So during the wedding, unlike a lot of modern weddings in our modern day, things, timing was a bit imprecise. Sometimes you would wait 
for the bridegroom to show up. Sometimes dancing would take a little bit longer and you were excited about a certain uh, thing that you were doing at a different house and maybe it just took a little bit longer than expected. Things were a bit imprecise. They didn't have a perhaps fixed schedule. And so the bridesmaids are holding lamps and torches to help light the way as they escort the bride and groom to their uh, final home where there will be a final meal, a final feast. So as Jesus is describing this, his listeners would have immediately recognized this is a typical wedding celebration. This is a situation that many have been in. This is something that many have seen. The virgins, you can think here of unmarried bridesmaids, are on their way between the wife's uh, parents' home and their new home that they are going to, uh, to live in. But the bridegroom is delayed. They're waiting for the bridegroom. They're waiting. So there's some delay going on. The bridegroom in our text is obviously Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament even, we see God and Christ being described or being called bridegroom. For example, Isaiah 54, 6, For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. There, God is being described as a bridegroom. In the New Testament, Mark chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus called himself a bridegroom. When the disciples were, were asked, Why aren't you fasting? Why don't you fast? Jesus said, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So the bridegroom's return in our parable, he is delayed. You've probably experienced waiting for someone that, who is, who's late. You know, at first you wait with eager expectation. You're thinking they should have been here by now and they're going to show up at any moment. And you're waiting eagerly. You're, you're perhaps pacing the floor. You're waiting by the front door. Maybe you're gazing out the window, seeing if they will park their car and, and come in. And you're waiting with eager expectation. And the person doesn't show up. And so you go from gazing out the window, waiting to greet him to maybe sitting on the couch, and then he doesn't come. And you go from sitting on the couch to going to bed. At first, things felt imminent, and, and you were excited. Any moment, they would come. But then all hope is lost. Maybe they're not coming. Maybe I'll just go to bed. Now, the bridegroom, Christ, has delayed his second advent. The church has, has been carrying on for 2,000 years since Jesus was last on earth. The angel said in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, that Jesus would return the same way as he ascended, namely on a cloud. But 2,000 years has passed. Where is Christ? The early church expected an imminent return of Christ. You can read uh, the, apostle, the apostles and, and even some of the early church fathers, and there was this eager expectation of the second advent of Jesus Christ. They were those who you, you might say they were looking out the window, eagerly waiting with expectation. And years came and years went. In 2 Peter chapter 3, 
scoffers are making fun of the church for this very reason. The scoffers say in that text, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Things have been carrying on. Where is Christ? How do we answer the scoffers? Where is your Christ? I thought he was coming back. Part of us can sympathize in a way. Yes, it does seem like a long time. 2,000 years is indeed long. We went from looking out at the window with eager expectation to sitting on the couch to going to bed. Maybe we stopped looking altogether for Christ. Maybe our hope is just in, in this world. Maybe we don't give a thought to Christ anymore. Like the friend who never showed up, we cast them out of our minds and carry on without them. But the Apostle Peter would have us perish that thought. When the scoffers say, where is your Christ? I thought he was coming back. Peter reminds the church that God created everything and God is patient. With the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God does not wish any to perish, but that all to come to repentance. When our friend doesn't show up and they give us a reason, well, then we can wait. Now we know why they were detained. Now we know why they're late. Similarly, Jesus is saying to the church, I'm going to be delayed. I'm going to be delayed because I am patient, because I want more and more of the elect to come to salvation. I'm going to hold out for them. And because we are given this reason for the delay, we can maintain eager expectation. He's not waiting because he fell asleep in heaven. He's not waiting because he changed his mind and isn't going to show up anymore. No, he is waiting because he is patient and we want more and more of our brothers and sisters in Christ to join us. So our bridegroom loves us and is delayed out of love for, for the elect. And that accounts for the delay. Now for my second point, the foolish virgins. What's interesting about the virgins or these bridesmaids is that they are part of the community. The ten virgins represent the, <clears throat> the covenant people of God. Throughout Scripture, the number ten is often associated with fullness. For example, there's ten commandments. There were ten plagues on Egypt. The tithe was ten percent. In the Jewish mind, you needed ten minimally to have a congregation. But notice these five foolish virgins, they're part of the, of the community. They are invited, in fact, by the bridegroom to come and, and, and take part in this wedding ceremony. They know the bridegroom to some extent. They have some affections for the bridegroom. They are part of the community. If you looked at the, at the ten, you would have said this ten is part of the community. This ten was invited by the bridegroom. But notice verse 3. While they are invited, while they seem to have some semblance of desire to be part of the marriage feast, they took no oil with them. 
Perhaps they didn't see the need to take oil. Maybe they thought that the small amount that was already there was enough. Maybe they didn't know the bridegroom would be delayed. Maybe they didn't know how long they were going to have to walk. But for whatever reason, they bring no flask of oil with them. Verse 5 says, All ten virgins slept because the delay was long. They went to sleep. But the only difference is that the five virgins who were wise slept with oil. And the five foolish ones did not sleep with oil. And in verse 6, the bridegroom finally arrives. So they trim their, their, their wicks, they light their lamps, <clears throat> and they realized there's no oil in the lamp. It's going to go out any moment. And so they cannot escort the bride in darkness. So they try to get the wise virgins, give me some of your oil. Put some of your oil in my lamp. But the wise virgins know that if they share their oil, then all the lamps will go out. There won't be any light left. How can you escort the bridegroom in incomplete darkness? So at midnight, these foolish virgins go out to town to try to buy oil. Now what place is open at midnight? But as they go into the town, the bridegroom comes. He takes the five wise bridesmaids to the marriage feast, and he shuts the door. Like the door on Noah's ark, it is now closed. It is now shut to the outside world. They did not enter through the door, and once the door is shut, they cannot enter the door. And as many who were drowning probably looked at the ark and said, I wish I were on, I wish I were on the ark. As Proverbs chapter 1 teaches us, the, the time for salvation is before judgment comes, not during judgment. And so these foolish bridesmaids are, are wishing that they had been ready, wishing they had, they had, had entered through the door, had entered into the wedding feast. And afterwards, of course, they tried their best to get in. They were beating on the door, Lord, Lord, open up to us. And their cry actually sounds like those of Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, who cried to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And Jesus told them in chapter 7 and these bridesmaids here in chapter 25 the same thing. I do not know you. These five foolish virgins had no oil. What is the oil? What does the oil signify? Well, there has been some debate within the history of the church as to what the oil represents. There were some church fathers who said the oil represents good works, good deeds. They didn't have good works. They were lawless. Other church fathers said, well, the oil is righteousness, and they didn't have a righteousness other commentators believe the oil is the inward preparation, being born again, having a new nature. 
And some of the Jewish commentators saw the metaphors of oil and lamp as, as referring to law and virtue. So who's correct? What is the oil? Well, I think that we're given a clue here in Zechariah chapter 4. In Zechariah chapter 4, Zechariah uses oil as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And this is important, I think, for us to grasp. The five foolish virgins are not Christians who did everything right but failed in a spiritual discipline. These foolish virgins are not perfect Christians who just forgot something accidentally at the end. Can you imagine if we could lose our salvation because we accidentally forgot something? We forget our phones and we don't know where we put our car keys. Can you imagine if everything hung on not forgetting a piece of something? No, these foolish virgins are not even Christians to begin with. They are part of the church. They are amongst us. But they are not, in fact, Christians. One of the unique things about this parable that Christ is giving is that he's contrasting people within the people of God. Oftentimes he might uh, contrast the people of God with those Gentile pagan people over there who reject Christ. But here it's within the household, the people of God. Jesus is showing that even within the people of God, even within the church, there are wheat and tares... Sheep and goats, believers and unbelievers. As Herman Boving said, there are some people who are in the covenant, but not of the covenant. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 speaks about those who are part of the covenant, but not of it. They are amongst us, but they're not truly born again. The writer of Hebrews says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, tasted the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Notice the language of the writer of Hebrews. These people have tasted heavenly gifts, tasted power of the age to come, tasted goodness of the Word of God, but they were not truly saved. They, they, they experienced, you could say, the highest apex of common grace, non-saving grace. They were amongst the church witnessing many, many blessings and many, many things that God was doing. And from an external standpoint, they were around that but they were not truly saved. They might have been with the church every week. They might have said all their prayers. They might have taken all the sacraments, the two sacraments. But when they knock on that door, what does Christ say to them? Verse 12, I never knew you. They did not have the Holy Spirit. They did not belong to Christ. And one wonders if they, in this text, even really love the bridegroom. Why would you take no oil? It's your job. Light the way. No oil. Do you care? The bridegroom is delayed. The foolish virgins didn't have the Holy Spirit. But now, what of the wise virgins? My third and final point. Verse 4. The wise virgins took oil. 
It was their job to light the way, to be ready. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, the wise virgins will not give away their salvation. They will not give away their birthright. They will not give away the Holy Spirit. And when the unregenerate asks, give me some of your oil so that I can go meet the bridegroom, they know that each person is responsible for themselves in that regard. You cannot go to heaven merely because you are surrounded by Christians in church. If you want to go to heaven, you must have a personal faith in Christ. You must have the Holy Spirit. You must personally know Christ. Do we personally know Christ? You must have your own oil. You cannot have the oil of others. You know, it's easy to look at this text and see it perhaps as, a, as, as primarily a warning, as primarily a threat of some sort. And of course, there is indeed a warning. Uh, there, there is a warning to the hypocrite. There is a warning to the ungodly. The warning is there. We must personally know Christ. We must have the Holy Spirit be ready before Christ comes back. The warning is there. But this text is a great promise. This text is a great promise. Look with me at verse 6. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Verse 10. The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Now we will certainly hear that cry, will we not? Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. We will hear that when Christ returns. But we will also meet our bridegroom at death. Whether he returns or he calls us home, we will meet our bridegroom. Come out to meet him. But it should be joyous for us as believers in Christ. John Calvin said unquestionably, everyone that believes in Christ ought to be so courageous as to lift up his head on mention being made of death, delighted to have intimation of his redemption. So, beloved, we should live our lives ready to meet Christ, eager to spend an eternity with our Savior, eagerly excited about being and seeing and worshiping Christ and serving alongside of Christ and seeing all of the glories of heaven and hearing all of the glorious things that Christ has to teach us and seeing sights unimaginable. Our hearts should wax warm as we think on these things, ready to meet Christ. Maybe he comes back today. Maybe he calls us home. But let us be ready ready by believing in Christ, ready by trusting in Christ, ready by having our assurance that because of Christ's obedience, we are righteous in God's sight, ready by repenting and turning away from sin, by believing the gospel each and every day, ready because we have the Holy Spirit. Readiness is not a last-minute thing. We often like to study and cram last-minute for things. We're going to the doctor, so we spend a week eating really good. We have a test, so we stay up late and just cram for it. 
But being ready is a lifelong thing because we're Christians, because we have the Holy Spirit, because we live each and every day believing in the gospel, turning from sin. It's a lifelong thing of being ready. All who are saved are ready. All who have the Holy Spirit are ready. We have the oil. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come bridegroom. And one day he will come and there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. As we, as we take the Lord's Supper each week, we're pointing and, uh, and, and eagerly waiting, longing for that marriage supper of the Lamb. One day we will sit with Christ, eat bread and drink wine. Verse 13, watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour, just like on the ark. One day the door will be shut. Are, are we, we ready? Are we watching? Is Christ who we desire? If so, then we should fear not. Christ will come back. He will gather us up. We have nothing to fear because we belong to Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.